Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we get a chance to share the love of Jesus through music, art, and biblical teaching, and we're so glad that you're here to be a part of it. Let's get started. Well, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here uh, in the church, and we are going to continue our Bible study. Nothing's going to change for us. We're going to still read through the book of Joshua as we've been studying that book for some time. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to turn to Joshua chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's all good. Underneath the gray seat close to you, there's a Bible rack and a hardback black Bible that you can use. And uh, you can turn to page 179 in that Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, you can take that Bible home with you. We want to give that to you as a gift. So you can have that. Don't add it to your collection. But if you don't, if you don't have one, then take that with you. Um, and then I'll, put the, I'll read through the whole passage here in a moment. But I want to do a little bit by way of review for us. So we've been studying Joshua for about a month now, and what we've noticed so far is there's a new leader over Israel. Moses had been the de facto leader while they are traveling through the Exodus in the desert, bringing them all the way to the edge of the promised land, and then Moses dies. And so God has now commissioned a new leader, and his name is Joshua, the namesake of the book that we're studying. And they are on the edge of the promised land just to cross over the flooded Jordan River. And Joshua goes before the people and tells them, in three days, we're going to cross the river. So get ready. Make preparations. Get your stuff packed up. I don't know. Put your kids in the carry-on. I don't know what you do. But get everyone ready to cross the river for in a few days. We're going to be crossing over. Now, we read this story um, in antiquity, meaning this. We read this story having already knowing the outcome. We, this thing happened thousands of years ago. We know what happened next, but I always feel it's best for us to try to place ourselves in the context of what it must have been like to be an Israelite, to be a follower of God, to hear the language of Joshua saying, get ready, we're going to cross over the land. How much tension would that have brought to you? How much stress would that have brought? I'm certain someone in the camp, probably more than someone, many someones in the camp said something like this. What if Joshua's wrong? What if God really isn't with him like he was with Moses? What if the report of the, 20, or the 10 spies 40 years ago was true? What if the people in the promised land are giants and we look but insects to them? What if we go over there and we can't get into the promised land? What if they crush us? What better yet, what if we can't even cross the Jordan River? What if we get swept away and drown? What if God has just brought us out here to just die on the east side of the river? Now, this tension moment is intentional. The author of this book is selling it and telling it this way. He wants us to feel the crisis, the moment of terror that's in their, um, their minds as they're getting ready to jump the river into the promises of God. And it helps us to sort of um, see the story in a different light when we consider our own lives. I don't know about you, but the stage show that is my own life just seems to be a series of conflict and resolution, conflict and resolution, conflict and resolution. Every once in a while, though, something so big will come up, it'll, sh- it'll shape your future should you choose correctly. Every once in a while, God will lead you to something brand new, and you have to have the faith to believe that God is with you and going with you. 
Every once in a while, you're gonna have to lay behind everything that you know to be true and good and, and present in your life, and you have to leave it all behind, never to return to it again and follow God into something brand new. Every once in a while, something like that will come into our lives and it will change us forever. This is the story of the Israelites here today. This is our story. They have faith to follow after God, but do we? They have faith to trust that God is good always and it has favor towards them, but do we believe those things? When we read this story, we're reading not just what happened to them, but we're reading what God does to us all the time. You get an opportunity, and you'll have many opportunities in your life, I assure you of that, that you will get an opportunity to, to respond to God in the way that they have, to trust him and to follow him, or to say, no, I'd rather stay here. And so the tension is this, are they going to follow Joshua's command? Are they going to believe that God is strong enough? Are they going to believe that God is faithful enough, that he is great enough to do that which he said he would do? And when we read about this story, and we learn who God is, and may I remind you that the Bible is so clear to tell us that God is immutable, which just means this, he never changes, right? Hebrews 13, 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and if God did that for them then, he can do that for us even now. Would you agree? Yes. So we want to be a people, not to be students of antiquity, to read the history lessons from the Bible at some distance, but to actually lean into them and learn from what God, or learn from God, rather, what he would want us to do. Learn from God on how he would want us to respond when opportunities like this arise. And that's the tension that we step into. So I'm gonna read the entirety of chapter three. It's quite long, it's 17 verses. You'll have about a three minute nap should you choose to nap at this point. Okay, I will stomp my foot to wake you up when we're done. So uh, if you wanna follow along with me, you can in your own Bible or we will put the words up on the screens here for you and you can follow along there. Starting here, chapter three, verse one. It says that Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, now, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then, Joshua says, you shall set out from your place and follow it. Verse four, yet there shall be a distance between you and the Ark of about 2,000 cubits. That's, let's say, a half a mile or so. Do not come near it, he says, in order that you may know the way that you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And then verse seven, it says, and then the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that it is that just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you as well. And as you command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. And behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, 
from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand up in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and then the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water, and then he then tells us that the Jordan overflows its banks about this time, so the Jordan River's flooded is what we're learning. And it says that the waters coming down from above stood still and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite of Jericho. One more verse, and then we wake up. It says, Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So we see what takes place here. We see what took place for them. But again, as I've already leaned to this morning, I want to find what God might say to us today in this. I'm never one to be quick, quick to just rip scriptures out of the Bible and apply it to our lives because I don't think that's really the intent of scripture. Just so we're clear, the intent of scripture is to tell the story of a hero. His name is Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus and what God does for his people. This is one of those stories where God teaches us that he's strong enough to save people when they need saved. He's strong enough to lead people into new things when they need led. This story is about that thing that's taking place. And for you and I to learn from God today, we must be people to listen to what God would say to us. And I know that's a supernatural thing. We don't have ears to hear or eyes to see, the Bible tells us. But if we were to pray for them, then I believe God would open our eyes and he might open our ears and we would learn from him. I'm so thankful all of you have come, but more importantly, I want God to speak to you since you've come. So would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for our time together that we have crowded in here today to hear what you might say to us. And so God, as we look to the story of Joshua and the Israelites and a a river named Jordan and some promises and all of these things, Lord, we ask that you would use your spirit to speak to our hearts, speak into our current situations, to speak into our current lives, that we might um, have comfort and help in you, Lord. God, we thank you again for our time. We ask that you bless it to us uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In those 17 verses that I read, you'll, you probably caught this ret- recurring theme, this sort of central character in the story. And the character is this. It's the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Now, when I was a young Christian just learning to read the Bible on my own, I fell in love with the stories of the Old Testament. I love history, right? I love reading those types of things. And when I first read about the Ark of the Covenant, my mind immediately went to Noah's Ark. So I thought they were carrying around this large boat, right? That had all the animals in it. But that's not, in fact, what the Ark is. In fact, if you have that picture in your mind, just throw boat out of it and just picture a chest of sorts, maybe three foot by foot and a half by foot and a half or something. Everything was measured by cubits, just so you know, it's from here to here. So I guess it depends on how big your arm was, depending on how big furniture was back then. So that's how things were done. So this Ark of the Covenant, I want you to hear, was typically carried or kept in what they call the tabernacle. Um, It's a tent 
when God's people were wandering through the desert, as God was leading them into the promised land, he also gave them instructions to build a tent and to place this Ark of the Covenant inside of this tent. And every so often, God himself would come down and hover over this Ark in this special room that we call the Holy of Holies. And Moses, their leader, would go into this place and commune with God, and God would spend time with him. And then Moses would leave and go speak to his people about the things that God had said. The primary character in this passage is mentioned 10 times in chapter 3, seven more times in chapter 4. The Ark of the Covenant is something the Lord wants us to pay special attention to. And here's why. It's a picture or an image or a symbol of God's presence himself. So they have taken the tabernacle uh, apart, got it ready to transport over the Jordan River, and the, the Ark of the Covenant is being carried with these long poles by the priests. And it's a symbol, if you will, of God's very presence. And so Joshua first commands them, you are not to leave until you see the Ark go before you. What we're learning is God is going to change the way he's leading his people. See, up until this point, God performed this miraculous thing that we call the pillar of fire in the, in the night or a pillar of cloud during the day. There was this like supernatural event. We don't know what it was exactly, but it was the waypoint that God used to lead his people through the desert. But no longer from this point forward do we hear of the pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud. God wants to now lead his people by his very own presence. He's doing something unique, and he wants to make sure that we don't miss this point. The Ark of the Covenant is the important part of this story. And so when we see that the, uh, the way God is leading his people is changing, it makes me wonder if there weren't some who after this moment begin to lament for the old signs of the good old days, right? Well, I miss the old uh, pillar of fire. Who else misses the pillar of cloud? Anyone else? And, and they had this, this strange um, belief, I would think, that even though God wanted to lead them themselves, they longed for the signs and the wonders that God would perform instead of, check it, God himself. It made me think of a story, uh, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders. Uh, the Bible calls them scribes and Pharisees. And they come before Jesus and they demand a sign from him. Now consider that. Jesus is the son of God, the Lord himself standing before them. And rather than engage in conversation with him about who he is and why he's come and salvation, all that, they demand him to perform for him. Like some puppet, if you will. And Jesus rebukes them, and he says words something like this, and I paraphrase. He says, it's only an evil and an adulterous generation that seeks a sign. He says, I, I don't want to lead you by signs. I'm going to lead you by me. And he goes, okay, I relent. I'll give you one sign, and here it is. Just like Jonah, if you know the story from Jonah and the whale, right, from your children's Bible back in the day, just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And on the third day, he will be spit out like Jonah was spit out. And what Jesus is saying, you want a sign and you should be looking straight to me. I'm the sign. I'm the way of salvation. I'm the waypoint now. You follow nothing else but me, he says. I wonder if we don't all have enough pharisaical blood in us to demand signs from God sometimes when he's standing right before us going, what's wrong with me? <laughs> 
And I say that carefully, being a, a person who believes in signs and wonders. I believe in miracles. I've, I believe I've witnessed miracles. I have prayed for people and seen people healed. And I don't say that to tout myself or anything like that, but just to say, I know what signs and wonders look like, but I never want to be a person who is always demanding God to perform signs and wonders for me when I have Jesus himself. Is that helping? Are we still friends? Uh, I want to stand over here. <laughs> You hear what I'm saying? Signs are great. Miracles are great, of course. But those aren't the things we chase after. We chase after Jesus. Would someone just say amen? I'll move on. Amen. That's who we chase. Thank you. Welcome back, by the way. Yes, we chase after Jesus. And I think we see a picture of that. God wants to lead him, or lead us rather, by his presence. And Jesus is that uh, for us. As Jesus given, has given us the Holy Spirit as well, then we have the Spirit to lead us as we go. But it is God himself who wants to lead his people, and that's the distinction that Joshua is making here. Um, the people of God, the Israelites, become mere spectators in, about, in what's about to take place. And I need you to see that. They're spectators. God's going to do something great, and they're just going to watch it from a distance. And this, to me, screams the salvation story of our lives. That God is going to save his people and he's going to do so through a, a means that he comes up with on his own, that he provides for on his own, and that way is Jesus Christ. That Jesus comes to earth, right, becomes a man for us. He goes to a cross, bears the punishment of sin, dies on the cross, is buried in the grave, and is raised on the third day. Right? That's the plan of salvation. If we believe in that, that we can have abundant life here and now and eternal life forevermore. But that's the way it is. And we participate in it this much. <laughs> we don't do anything to earn those things. We don't work towards them. We don't have to, to try to strive and earn our salvation. We spectate it. And the same thing is true here. He's asked the people of God to watch the ark pass in front of them as if it's God himself and to stay at a certain distance to watch what happens. And when you see what God does, you'll be blown away. He says, verse five, you'll do wonders. He'll do wonders for you. But let me keep reading here. Verse three, let's go back to this verse. And so Joshua commands all of the people, as soon as you see the ark move, then you follow it. So not only does God want to lead us, but hear me, God knows the right time to go too. I'm not trying to oversell that, but that's a real thing to learn from this. God knows the right time for us. He knows when we should go. And when it's time to go, he'll move and we follow him. This is a hard lesson for many of us to learn, isn't it? So many of us are type A. Type A's in the room where you just get it done. You've got a gift set from the Lord that'll blow your mind, right? I'm jealous of people like you, I'm just telling you. But when it comes to doing things, rather than wait on the Lord, you go and do it on your own. And you know what happens after you do that a number of times and you succeed in the things that you've done and your accomplishments? We no longer look to God, the one who actually wants to perform the miracles and the wonders for us. We actually lean on our own strength. And we begin to replace God with this little totem we call ourselves. And you are not a very good God, may I remind you. There is but one who wants to lead us and guide us. And it is God himself, not you. So we must learn to wait when it's time to move. And God knows when it's time to go. He tells Joshua, when the priests pick up the ark and move, then you go. And then he also tells them to keep a certain distance. Verse 4. I always wondered why. Why do they have to stay back from the ark? Now, in the Old Testament, we learn that the Ark of the Covenant um, is the 
sort of symbol of God's presence and it was a very holy thing because God's holy and you know all this and that and some people have taught that they had to stay stay back from the ark because if they touched it they would die now that's a true story there's a story in the old testament where the ark was being moved on a cart I don't remember the passage here but the ark was being moved and the cart sort of shifted the wheel got stuck in a rut or something and somebody close to the ark reached out to steady it and God killed him Now, that's a story for another day. I won't go into that right now. But just know this. Some people think that's why they're not supposed to come close to the ark. But that's not what the Bible tells us here. The Bible says something altogether different. Look here in verse 4. Keep a distance between you and it, the ark, about a half a mile or so. Don't come near it. And here's why. In order that you may know the way you are to go. You stay far away so that you have a better vantage point of where God's going. And then he says this, he says, you have not passed this way before, which infers that God has. To me, it does. He says, you've never been there, but God's been there before. And if you're going to follow someone, if you're going to call someone a guide in your life, all things spiritual, right, all, all things um, holistic and healthy, it, it, it better be someone who knows the way to go through life. Would you agree? And we, we serve and worship a, a God who's, who we call the creator of everything. God created everything. And if anyone knows how the intricacies of life works and the intricacies of the human body and relationships work, it's God himself, would you agree? And he wants them, he wants them to see this and to understand this. He says, you're gonna stand at a vantage point and see the things that God does and you'll know that it's God doing it. God is our great God. And so verse five, then Joshua says to the people, I need you to consecrate yourselves now. What does that mean exactly? We don't know. Joshua doesn't spell it out for us. We do read elsewhere in the Old Testament that sometimes God's people were called to consecrate themselves or to purify themselves um, many times. It involved sometimes ritual washings. Oftentimes they would wash themselves. It required them to abstain from certain things like sexual relations, sometimes certain foods, and they had these purification rites they would go through. So even though Joshua's telling them to consecrate themselves, we don't really know what they're asked to do, but we do know this. God's asking them to prepare for something. There's a preparation that's oftentimes required of us when we're going to go embark on things with the Lord. There's there's just a, a time of preparation, a needful time where God will set us apart, sanctify us, consecrate us, or do something in us so that we can then step into that very thing that God wants for us. And unless we settle into that process of consecration, unless we settle into that process of trying to, to get to that place where we could actually receive what God is doing, we'll never step into the next thing. Not only is God leading them, but he's asking them to prepare for it, to make way for it. Don't hear this the wrong way, but I oftentimes wonder if when we come together on a Sunday morning for worship, if we take but a moment to prepare for what we're about to embark on. I say that not to shame anyone, but even to remind myself that what we do here today is not gather like we're assembling at a country club. We've gathered to worship the creator of everything, the God of heaven and the earth, the God who can save us or condemn us to death, the God who rules and reigns the heavens above and below, who does everything he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And we walk in as if we're just meeting friends for lunch. But 
one of the commentators that I was reading was a guy named Dale Davis, and he has a, a commentary on Joshua. And he says this, he posits this question, and I'll read it for you. He says, if we are not impressed with the grandeur of God in worship, is it because we have not prepared ourselves to see him as such? How is church? Meh. I mean, the preacher's amazing, let's be honest. <laughs> he tucked his shirt in and everything today. <laughs> the music was great, the whatever was this, whatever. And oftentimes we lose sight of the fact that we've gathered not for ourselves, and there's part of that, we want to edify each other, we want to encourage one another is what I'm trying to say. But there's a whole other reason we're gathering today, and it has nothing to do with you. has nothing to do with you there's a God who's so great and powerful and he's sweeping across nations and he's transforming lives and he's doing things and we are gathered here today to worship him to thank him for the work that he's done now we get to have fun while we do it right but let us never lose sight of that this consecration or this preparation is something we see replete in scripture we see it time and time again jesus our lord and savior savior himself did this the new testament book of luke tells us that um, when jesus was going to call his uh, disciples together so he gathers all the disciples consider a room like this and he's going to pick 12 to be apostles and he goes this one this one this one. The night before he chose his 12 apostles, Luke tells us Jesus spent the night in prayer. The night before God was going to change the way the ministry looked for him and for the earth, he went to his knees in prayer or whatever that looks like. The night that Jesus was arrested, he went to Gethsemane and prayed, wrestling will, if you will, the will of God for his life. Is this what you want, God? Is this what you want? Is this what you're asking of me? If there's another way, let's do it the other way. But if not, my, your will be done, not mine, he says. When the apostles, after Jesus had been buried, resurrected, and returned back to heaven, the Holy Spirit was promised to come. The disciples and the apostles met in an upper room. You can read about this in Acts chapter 2, where it says they were in one accord. They prayed together in solitude and and, um, and quiet, and they waited, they prepared themselves, they consecrated themselves, if you will, for the Holy Spirit to come and be with them. The Apostle Paul, when he was converted on the road to Damascus, before he started the largest missionary journey the world had ever seen, spent three years in Arabia getting prepared for what God was going to do. The Lord is moving. Consecrate yourself, he says. Prepare yourself for what God is going to do. Prepare yourself not only that you won't miss it, but that you'll be ready to go when he goes. We good? Okay. It feels okay to say that. Nobody's thrown anything at me yet, so... And then verse 10, we skip forward in the story a little bit here. Joshua says, um, almost to allay the fear that is almost certain in the hearts of the Israelites that maybe God isn't with them or maybe Joshua's wrong or right, the stuff that we already talked about earlier. And Joshua says to the people, this is how you're going to know that the living God is among you. 
Now, I love that Joshua uses that language, the living God. It's almost in stark contrast to the dead totem gods of the seven nations that are listed there in that, set, that uh, verse 10. Those false dead gods can't help you, but the living God can help you. And this is how you're going to know that he's with you. So you're going to follow the ark. You're going to stay a distance away from it. And God's going to produce this wonder before you. And when you see this miraculous supernatural event take place, that'll be the sign for you that God is among you. And this sign is this. Basically, they step into the river, as we've already read, and it's as if God's hand himself dropped from heaven and dammed up the waters upstream. And they gather in this huge heap, and all of the people being some distance away, they witness what this looked like. We oftentimes want to dismiss this as just some sort of fairy tale or fable, but I would disagree with you. God, who is the God of the universe, is above even all natural laws. He controls all those things. And it is, it is just like God to stop the waters from flowing. He's done this once before, if you know the story of the Red Sea with Moses. And God's people cross through on dry ground, and he's doing it again. And he's reminding this generation, when you see this thing, you'll know that God's here and with you. And so they witness what God has done. He breaks open um, the, the river, if you will, and they cross through on dry ground. It's a miraculous thing that has taken place. And the outset, the miracle for sure is to help Israel get across the river, but the, the, maybe the more meaningful thing or the larger purpose as it is with all miracles is for this to be known. It is to, te- to testify to God's greatness and his faithfulness to his people. When God does miracles, and it is his prerogative to do miracles when he wants to, it is first to show that he's faithful to his people and to show that he's great enough to perform those things. And so God's people need to know that he's faithful to them, that he is in fact with them, and that's being proven here. And he wants to show them that he's with them, that he's great and powerful. We see that verse 10. But if you were to keep reading in chapter 4, verse 24, it says that God is doing this miracle not just for Israel, but for the world to see. He says, I want all the nations of the earth to see my greatness and what I can do in hopes that they would be moved to worship him. I feel like a, I sometimes feel like I've lost what it must feel like to not be a Christian. I've been a Christian some 24 years now. Um, I mean, that's like I'm ancient in Christian years right at this point. But I, I, I long to remember the days what it was like to not be a Christian and to hear the stories of the things that God has done and to be moved in awe, to wonder if it's truly real or not. I mean, I hear stories now of things that God does and I'll go, yeah, of course, it's God. But you remember what it was like before you knew him? And you would scratch your head going, is that even possible? Can you imagine being a Canaanite, an Amorite, a Jebusite, a Hittite, a termite, whatever you were over there? And you're standing there on the side of the river, and all of a sudden, for no reason, the river stops. And, and you're going, uh-oh. And you see those hundreds of thousands of people just camped on the edge, just waiting to step forward. Yeah, I think that day they knew who the real God was. I think that day they understood that, that God is for his people and not against them. And he's leading them into the, the promised land. Moving on, verse 15 and 16. As soon as the priests bearing the ark had come into the Jordan, their feet got into the brink of the water, the water stopped coming down. 
Again, they're witnessing this. They're not, I mean, their participation is only standing in the water. It's about all they're asked to do. And God performs this mighty miracle. I want to close with this idea for us. Whenever we face a challenge, something new, unique, uncharted, a crisis of sorts in our life, um, I want us to be reminded that we have a guide through it with Jesus. That we have a guide through almost I, I, I won't say almost, every imaginable situation that we could come to in our lives, God has seen that, done that, been there before, right? We have the guy who understands that. And I mean to say this, if you have um, an issue, uh, if, if you're here in a room and you feel betrayed by someone close to you, and I know that there have been spouses in here who have lied um, to you, that they stood on a, an altar many years ago and made an oath before God and these witnesses to call you their loved one forever and ever and ever, and they've lied to you and they've betrayed you. Right? God understands what that's like to be betrayed. He was, Jesus was betrayed by one of his best friends as well. And I'm just saying that, that even though that's a hard thing to have to deal with, God knows how to get through it. If you're struggling with trying to understand why death occurs in this world, why sickness is here, and God has answers to all of those questions. If you're wondering why you can't seem to get ahead in life, God has answers for all of those questions. He is the guide for us, available to us, should we follow him. My charge to us as a people is to stop relying on our own strength and to stand back, let God move through first, let his hand come down and do the work. The beauty of all of that is we get to sit back and, I won't say relax, but we get to settle into our identity as Christians, right? The, the righteousness of Christ has been given to us and we settle into that and we no longer have to work towards things. When God wants to move us, we pray and we consider and we, we prepare ourselves and when he says go, we go and when he wants to do something else, we say, fine, your way, let's go and you move on to the next thing. I'm just here to say that God wants to be our leader. He wants to help us. And all too often, you're busy doing it on your own. So in Jesus' name, knock it off. <laughs> Silly? I mean, that's, ugh. I made a terrible savior right? Anyone else agree with that? For yourself, not for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. So I just, <laughs> I have 36 seconds. What can I say in 36 seconds? Um, I, I just want to say this. Um, maybe it's just by way of help. Uh, when l the life gets clouded and dim and dark, it, we focus upon the Lord that we keep our eyes towards him. He's the place where life comes from, right? Um, one of the aspects of serving a God who's a living God um, is that all, all, we don't serve a God who's like a grave who just swallows up dead things. We serve a God who is the fount of life where all things spring forth into newness and abundance. And so if we've lost our way, if it feels like we're being swallowed up by the grave, so to speak, we just misplaced our trust. We just misplaced um, our, uh, who God is. We don't understand who, who God fully is. I'm really struggling to say what I'm trying to say. But do you know what I'm trying to say? We need to focus upon the Lord in all things.
And so I, I want to just close in prayer that we might be those types of people that regardless of situation or circumstance or crisis or large obstacle in our lives, that we can wait for the Lord to deliver us and we can wait for the Lord to do something on our behalf. In fact, he already has in Jesus, amen? Amen. And I'll tell you right now, he's got a lot of other things he wants to conquer in your life. It's not just salvation. It's not just eternal life. He, he wants to make you new. He wants to make you brand new. And if you want to have a new life, just say amen. Amen? Okay, let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for our time. Thank you for our new space. How great is this to be crowded in a bigger room? This is so awesome. God, we ask that we would be smarter next week and put more chairs in the room. And um, God, just continue to bless our time. We trust that you're doing this work all on your own, that we are sitting back spectating the mighty work that you're doing. And so we thank you. We thank you that you are helping us to make more room for more people and that more of our friends can come and hear the truth and love of Jesus. More of our coworkers and family members can come. And, and we just ask, God, that you would continue to bless us as a church, that you would bless us corporately and individually, Lord. If we ever find ourselves in a place where we've taken our eyes off of you, God, would you just lovingly remind us that we need to come back and focus on you? If the cares of this world just seem insurmountable, Lord, may, may we be reminded that there was a river one time that couldn't be crossed until you made a way for them. And if you've done so for them, then God, you can do so for us as well. God, we love you and we thank you for everything that you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. And I want to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God, which might be getting involved with a group of other believers. If you'd like to be a part of what's going on here at Renaissance, then please connect with us on social media or online at renaissancedecatur.org.